eight teams, eight teams overall out of 22 make the make the playoffs. And currently seven of those of those eight playoff spots have been decided in the B League First Division. Welcome back. You're listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we're joined by Ed Odervin, who is a longtime sports journalist with over 20 years of experience and is the co-founder of Japan Forward's Sports Look. Our other guest is Jason Haleko, who is a professional photographer who also writes the column of Photographer's Notes on Japan Forward. The month of April saw many trending headlines for Japanese sports and Japanese athletes. Let's listen in. Thank you to our listeners and followers for joining us again for our weekly Twitter space. Every week we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and appreciate it very much. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. So for anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with the goal to reach global audiences, sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. Our mission shared by our supporters and followers is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. So let me introduce um, myself. I'm Galileo, and I'll be the host slash moderator for today's Twitter space. I've been working in Japan forward since 2017, um, working on the marketing side and a lot of the tech and the, the dev side as well. And let me introduce, uh, I wouldn't say guest, but <laughs> today he's our speaker. So Ed, he's um, a sports writer at Japan forward, longtime sports sports writing veteran um, in Japan. Um, he joins the call. And also we have Jason Haleko, who's an action sports photographer in Japan, professional photographer, um, long-time resident of Japan as well. And maybe we can get a quick um, quick word from both of you, starting with Ed. Hello, everybody. Uh, good evening. Um, May 1st, Golden Week is... Uh, it has started in Japan, and there's a lot of sports activities that are taking place for the weekend. The um, national championships in swimming. You have the horse racing today with with uh, Tenno Show Spring. Baseball season is in full blast. The uh, Japan Rugby League One is getting close to the playoffs. So those are just a few of the things that are, uh, you know, grabbing our attention. Okay, thanks, Ed. And quickly, Jason. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, like Galileo said, I've been in Japan for a long time, like 20 years, shooting action sports um, since like early 2000s, late 1990s, I guess, in Vancouver, starting with skateboard. Now I do everything uh, under the sun and just got back from, from shooting a week with X Games, which was amazing. So yeah, let's talk about that. And uh, cheers. Thanks for joining. All right. So X Games, the first thing we'd like to talk about today um, Ed, you you put you attended as a I guess a spectator, but also you were covering the X Games. And Jason, you attended as is it the professional, the official um, event photographer. So maybe my first question to both of you is: what was what was what was it like 
uh, to go to the X Games. It was the first time for the X Games to be to be held in Japan. We saw some repeat um, athletes who came from the the Tokyo Olympics and were um, competing in skateboarding events. And we also saw some top athletes who were invited to the X Games for the first time very young athletes who are still in their early teens or mid-teens. Um, so maybe we could start with the end. What did you think about the X Games? Well, I thought the energy and the enthusiasm and just the camaraderie among the athletes was really fun to see. The fans, uh, I went on the first day on Friday, and I'm guessing I didn't see the official attendance numbers for Saturday and Sunday, but I think uh, as the weekend progressed, the the crowds grew bigger. And on the first day, you know, it was a really – really good atmosphere and and every every skater every BMX competitor that I saw for example they were you know cheered on and amongst themselves and among with the fans also cheering them on and uh yeah it was just a good 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 a positive vibe in the baseball stadium and people got got a chance to see a lot of really good tricks and techniques and you know experienced veterans and some of the younger skaters uh like um uh, daiki ikeda who w- went on and won a silver medal on the, over the weekend he's only 15 tokyo native so people got to see the the older veterans in their 20s and then people as young as 12 years old i believe with gooey hope i'm pronouncing that right gooey kuri who sounds about right, has some yeah. really nice really impressive moves in his performance as well Yeah, like I just need to point out quickly is that the X Games was held just outside of Tokyo in Chiba. Um, and Ed pointed out it was at a baseball stadium, it was the Zozo Marine. Right, right. Stadium, I believe. Chiba um, Lotte Marines, uh, that's yeah. their home stadium. Exactly, yes. And, um, and it was transformed into a weekend of fun with the X Games coming to Japan. And there were skateboarding events, um, BMX, there's, there was also Moto. And, and, yeah, and Jason, how about yourself? So I was a bit of a different uh, participant of the event. I was actually like the head photographer. So um, Ed would have been in the stands where I was like actually on top of the courses and, you know, inches away from the riders and that all week. I was actually there for six days. um, And my first duties were to shoot headshots of all 100 or so athletes over two days. So I actually got to meet every one of the athletes and say hi and get to know them a little bit. So that was, you know, like he said, there was a Sakura-chan gold medalist from the Olympics, who I know quite well now, but I uh, got to see her again. And Hori Gome, he was the uh, men's skateboard gold medalist at the Olympics and gold medalist this time as well for X Games. So I got to meet him for the first time. So that was fun. And then uh, mm-hmm. as, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, Friday was good. It was a good day for us to practice and get all of our stuff um organized and i think i actually got a little too excited and shot about nine thousand photos that day but uh, it was uh it was certainly a lot of fun and then you know saturday sunday uh, more people bigger vibe um and luckily just kind of finished on sunday before the rain really started so we got the full event in they got uh the last event was the men's skate streets with Horigome and getting gold, uh, Ikeda getting silver, and then Shirai Sora, another one of my friends, getting third. So it was a top well, one, two, three for the Japan. So it was great. They got two runs in, and then it ended up raining too much, so they had to cancel or finish there. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, I could go on forever. It was pretty amazing. So it was uh, 
it was a busy, hectic week. And just looking back on it, just kind of be able to enjoy it now looking back on it. <laughs> Jason, to continue with you, you've, you know, you've attended like, I would maybe hundreds of events in Japan, sport yep. related events in Japan of different scales. I wanted to ask, what do you think um, the X Games did well um, hosting the event in Japan this year? So one huge challenge that the X Games had before anything even started was the fact that it was in the Zozo Marina uh, Stadium, which they, so like in the States, when they do it, you know, they build this course over a couple of weeks. The riders get like two or three, four days to practice on it and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But because um, it's in the baseball stadium and it's still baseball season, like we said at the start, um, they actually only had, uh, I think, less than a week to build the entire everything. And one thing with X Games is that they have to, part of the rule is, I think, that they have to build parts of the course out of concrete. So they're, you know, they're building a full, like, full-size concrete park and street course in a matter of days. So there's there's gentlemen out there working 24 hours Mm. for, like, four or five days. And it rained, and, you know, things happened, and there was drama. But the people who made these courses, they worked their butts off. And Mm. I think the fact that, it got finished on time, and the riders were happy with the course. I really didn't hear any major complaints. Um, mm-hmm. And they even did the event was just amazing in itself. Um, just to be able to do that um, was awesome to see. And uh, I get goosebumps now just even remembering it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, like the the atmosphere was great. There was a lot of really good hospitality. Um, for the athletes coming from overseas and in Japan as well. Um, one thing I find a lot of Japanese uh, events are really good at is their hospitality, taking care of the athletes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the flow of the event was really good. Um, everything was on time. It was t- uh, just everything. The riding was, you know, super world-class riding from all the athletes. So yeah. I think, um, you know, if you've never seen any kind of action sports before, like skateboarding, BMX, Vert, Moto X, we even had breakdancing mm-hmm. the last day. It's mm-hmm. such a great opportunity to see all those things in a compact area all at once. Um, mm. There really isn't anything that's been done in Japan too many times like this on this scale. So it's uh, it was great and it was done awesome. And it was just everyone had such a great time, uh, both the athletes and us behind the scenes, too. So. Yeah, I saw a lot of um, good commentary on Twitter and on Instagram. People were sharing um, a lot of the action and um, all the it's all the highlights that mm. were just, just flowing on social media. Um, same question to you, Ed. But you know, as a journalist, sports writer, even mm-hmm. I would also imagine you've attended um, lots of events, big scale events. I think the one that comes up the top of my mind is when you you've attended some Olympic games. Um, so, so what, how about? For you, what do you think um, the X Games did well? Or what were some of the challenge to, challenges for you as you were covering the event? Well, I, I don't have an official number of uh, media that were credentialed that had full access uh, uh, on the three days. You know, but due to, due to COVID restrictions and a limit of, limit of press that were actually given access to the mix zone and the press room and, you know, full of the ability to really interact with the athletes, uh, I was limited by just having a seat in the stands. Mm. Uh, you know, they they just they cut off the number the the limit the limit had been met, had been reached, I should say. So it would have been better um, to have full access and to meet, you know, to meet a lot of the athletes and to start to develop a rapport with some of them. 
um, sometimes at big events, you're able to do that and mingle a little bit more, you know, and circulate. So I think that was a challenge that maybe the organizers were not as um, generous as they could have been, or they could have maybe, you know, double um, maybe had 20 more media that were allowed in you know it's a very big stadium it's outdoors if you're wearing a mask you're following you're following covid protocol so i think that could have been done a little bit better i think the scheduling of the games of the spacing between events and uh i thought the timing was very well done with that where you're able to see action almost continuously yeah there might be a 15 20 minute break you can get a drink you can get something to eat I thought I thought the flow of the uh, announcing was done very well also where you can hear on the PA system uh background about different athletes where they're what countries they're from sort of some results they've had in the past good 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 medal results you know some tidbits about their careers where their hometown is um they had Japanese and English announcers so I thought that was good that you know, there might be some international visitors as well. So they were sort of catering to both the local audience, which you need, I think you need to do for an international event. But you're also recognizing that there are fans from overseas that are that are also in the building at the yeah. stadium. And maybe a follow-up question is that um, when could, since that, we, you know, we're in the COVID era now um, and participating in events like this is getting very difficult to do. Uh-huh. Can you maybe, sh- I don't know, my question would be about um, how, how how much has it changed, like the live like event experience when it comes to sports? I think I think there's some I think it's on a case by case basis where certain uh, certain organizations and certain leagues or tournament you know organizers are uh, allowing basically anybody with a credential or a, you know, a legitimate media outlet to get access to enter the building. If, you know, you don't have um, COVID symptoms. And if you have, if, you know, if you, if you fill out the application form before the deadline, and if you're wearing a mask, some, some events are allowing anybody in. Uh, whereas I, I think there's a limit that, exists but it's it's, sometimes you don't know like how do they decide the number or how many people of media versus how many people in the stands are you know like an appropriate number like you you can see baseball games twenty thousand twenty five thousand people and there might be you know 200 reporters at a game so it's give or take a bit right sounds like yeah a bit of a case-by-case situation but also maybe um, the X Games, they were inviting a lot of foreign athletes. So maybe that was also just a factor in trying to mm. mitigate some risks. Yeah, just, I'll just jump in there. Like, um, yeah, yeah. because the um, athletes were arriving and then mm-hmm. participating so soon, I think most of them were only in a bubble for a few days, three days or so. There was a lot of restrictions mm-hmm. that the Japanese government was putting on uh, the athletes. And basically everyone was put into a bubble. So mm-hmm. even all the athletes could do was go from the hotel to the venue with the requ- uh, with the buses that were allowed, and you know they weren't even allowed to really go to like the onset in the hotel 
or like the convenience store or even to the station and like all the restaurants around there, they were on lockdown pretty much. So I think it was not so much what the organizers were able to decide, but it was what the regulations that the Japanese government put in place so they could even do the event in the first place. Um, I think, you know, with like a baseball game or something like that, a domestic baseball game, everyone's from Japan. They probably all had their shots and it's all like no one's flying in three days before to do the game or anything like that. So it's a bit of a different registry uh, restrictions going on there. Um, But when so many athletes are coming from overseas and they just have to like, like it was basically the Japanese government's like, you have to do it this way. And if you don't, then the event is canceled as far as I could tell. So Mm. they were pretty strict with what they could do. So hopefully next year, um, that won't happen. So it'll be a lot better access for everybody. One one thing that just to be a, just to clarify a little bit, Jason, um, with baseball, um, you know, athletes arriving from overseas, um, there was a delay for a lot of them in getting here before spring training because mm-hmm. of um, you know like state of the, the state of emergency in place during the winter. Uh, but of course, they're they're also given the uh, quarantine before they can join their teams. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah, that was different sure. with um, X Games this time because I've also was trying to catch up with a lot of the athletes. Mm-hmm. They were arriving on the same week. They were arriving like two or three days before the event, mm. and that was a tight window. So I was really questioning what's the quarantine regulations like now. But yeah. you know what would have been really cool was to like to like shadow one or two of the tops. Um, skateboarders motocross and bmx athletes and kind of write like a day in the life kind of like feature about like their preparation and training before the big events get underway that would have really been fun yes and that was that's, that's going to lead me to my next question to to jason is that how has the event participation experience changed for you if at all you um before and before COVID and now, because I know you, you you still shoot quite regularly and you still attend a lot of um, events to be like the photographer. So what's that experience for, for you like now? Well, um, I think for me in general, since like a lot of the times I'm at the events, I'll be like uh, one of the main photographers if it's a Red Bull event or like this time with uh, X Games, I had specific duties that allowed me to go to uh, areas that other people weren't allowed. So like the um, athlete lounge, um, I had to take the headshots, like I said. So I was allowed to be in the athlete lounge, but that was, again, part of the bubble. So no no external media could go in there. And that's also like the area that the, the athletes go just to chill and hang out. So they don't really want like people coming up and asking them questions all the time. So, you know, I was able to go in there, but it was really restricted also, even just for staff, just because, again, of the COVID and stuff like that. Um, and we were kind of restricted with our movements a little bit. Um, Mm. uh, we were careful what we did and stuff like that, but nothing too crazy. So really, you know, as long as they do the event, like, of course, before every event, I have to take a test, um, make sure that I'm clear and check my temperature and all that kind of stuff. And, Mm. you know, there's certain things that I have to go through just to be able to be part of it. But, um, once Mm. things get started, then generally, um, you know, I wear a mask when I'm shooting and all that stuff, but uh, generally it's been fine. Um, I think like access to athletes now is a little bit more difficult um, because of COVID because they just don't want, you know, these pro athletes um, who use basically, you know, their body is their, 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 their machine, their weapon, their choice of how they make their livelihood. So they don't really want to be talking to hundreds of different uh, reporters every day 
just because that brings up the chances of something being passed along. So that has mm-hmm. been shut down quite a bit. And even when they do like uh, meetings of like uh, talking to a lot of media at once, the media is really quite a lot further back. So you'd, like I'd have to take a, a longer lens to get certain shots than normally we'd only be a few feet away from them. Um, so there's things like that have changed, uh, but it's easy to adapt to. And, you know, like even just the fact that they did X games, uh, was amazing because in what, uh, from March there, I think in March there was supposed to be a Fisei event that down held down in Hiroshima, which is kind of a similar event, um, like, uh, BMX skateboarding and that, but this year that was canceled. So I was like, Oh geez, that if Fisei got canceled, then hopefully, you know, X games still happens. Where, where, and it did, so. where was that event? Where was that event supposed to be? Hiroshima. Okay. And that's been held. It was, uh, I think, canceled again, like last year as well, but it was held for like two or three years before COVID happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was just, I'm really happy that the, the organizers put in the work and did made everything, you know, happen in the end. So it looked, it looked, um, my unofficial count here, not remembering everything completely, but I think athletes from five different nations uh, one events uh, over the three days. Uh, you're counting Japan, U.S., Australia, Brazil. I, I think Canada or Britain. I, I, I'm, I'm, but that's a good, nice representation, right? Yeah, it was a it was a wide variety of people, for sure. Um, and but it was great to see the Japanese riders do so well. Um, you know, for a couple of different categories, there was a few riders who weren't able to make it here. Um, uh, that are very standout top of top riders. So it would have been mm-hmm. interesting to see what would have happened if everyone who was invited was able to show up. Um, mm-hmm. But still, yeah, it was great turnout. You know, we got some young uh, athletes. Grieve, he's like twelve. He killed it in the vert. He's he's like the, one of the few youngest people to do a ten eighty in the vert. Which, if you know anything, right. that's just like mind boggling. <laughs> I think he did it there too. So uh, it was really good to see. Um. Just conscious of your time, Jason, maybe. Oh, I, I don't mind. <laughs> You're good? Okay. I'm good, I'm um, good, yeah. Yeah, so then maybe my next question would be is that um, in previous events, like both of you two, like you, you would meet, you'd be at the event, um, you'd be able to meet athletes, you'd be able to connect or whatever. But now you said that's kind of a challenge now because of COVID. Um, how do you, how do you work around that? How do you, you know, continue that because for both of you, I imagine like a relationship with an athlete is will get will help you with your work. Maybe yes, start with you, Ed. Well, judging the dynamics that I that I had entering, and when I when I went to Chiba, I I knew I had a ticket for to enter the building when I got there, enter the stadium. But the you know the PR staff told me you won't have access to interviews. I thought maybe I'd be able to show my ticket and still walk over to the media section uh, and the mix zone. But they said, no, you're restricted to, you know, just the seats. So I tried to write my story more as like a, um, just like a, the viewpoint from the audience, what I'm seeing, uh, what I'm watching, what I'm hearing, how people are reacting. And, you know, comments that are made that are said over the loudspeaker, I tried to use those as sort of some of the center points centerpieces of my of my article uh and really just focus on what was it like watching these events and what were some highlights i tried to make it fun make it energetic like i thought the crowd was and like the athletes were that day yeah um 
So it's probably more of a feature than a straight traditional news story. Yeah, I just think it's well written. I, I pretty much um, learned much about the event just from your first day coverage. And it was good to see some top names. And I, I had to look them up too. And a lot of the athletes are active on Instagram and you see a lot of the content there. So it's good to see a connection between X Games and, and their, their content. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, and Jason, how about you? Like, I know you personally do, um, you meet up with some of your athlete friends to do shoot, to shoot, to do shoots and um, street photography. Mm -hmm. um, but how about now? Like, when you're at an event, do you meet athletes and how do you develop your relationship with them? Well, so like I was really lucky in that I could take the, a few minutes with each athlete to do headshots, but um, I'm also really conscious of the athlete's time. Um, and, you know, it's those kind of like headshots and all that kind of stuff is part of their job, but I'm not going to sit there and try to chat with them for five, 10 minutes with each person because it's just not viable and, you know, they don't. Honestly, they're nice people and everything like that, but they don't care. Uh, I'm just another cog in the machine. So uh, I'm just friendly to people, smile, chat when I can, make things easy. Um, there's athletes there that I know, like all the, f I think there was eight or nine Flatland guys, like Flatland BMX. And I'm actually like personal friends with like everyone except for one who I met for the first time. So one cool thing is like, I do know like Sakura-chan, who's top female rider, and then Soda, and, and like all these flatland guys, and a, the Moto X guys, they kind of know me a bit from my name. So when the athletes do see the other athletes chatting with me and being friendly, they like kind of look over, oh, okay, well, that guy's, that guy's cool. Um, and it's, uh, it just kind of like breaks the ice um, in, in the atmosphere when I'm around. So that's, it's, it's nice because I could hang out in the lounge and kind of meet people. But, but then there's people like uh, Hori Gome, who's like um, super shy, like he's a nice guy, but apparently he's just like crazy shy. So it, there's a bit of a wall you got to break through there. Um, but once you do break through that wall, he's really super nice. Um, it's like, uh, Ayumu, the, um, snowboarder, like he's yeah. kind of like a little, people think he's a little standoffish or cool. Um, but maybe he's just a little shy, but I've known him a while now. And so once you get to know these guys, they're actually really, really cool. But, but, you know, once the events start and I'm out there shooting, um, unless an athlete comes up to me and says, like, starts chatting or whatever, I just, I take a step back because these people are competing for, gold in this really big event um i don't need to be pestering them every five minutes and hey man how's it going what's up what you guys do last night <laughs> um i try to keep that as professional as i can um when it's over congratulations man awesome that was great maybe send a message on uh, uh what on on social media hey i had fun meeting you you know hit me up anytime you want to go for a session um not all kind of times bear fruit but I think for me personally, a lot of these guys, you have to meet them a couple of times, chat with them a few times, and then they remember you. Um, and then, you know, hopefully next year, a bunch of the same people come and they're like, hey, you're the photographer from last year. And then, you know, build up that rapport. Like mm -hmm. it, it takes time. Um, you know, these they're, they're regular people and not everyone wants to be your best friend just because you're just because you're there. Right. So you're right. just be That's professional and courteous and smile and be nice. And you never know who's going to be your friend at the end of the day. So. I got a quick question for, for you, Jason. Um, yep. You, you shot about 9,000 pictures on the first day. I'm guessing you were probably similar. The, so maybe 20, uh, 25,000 in total, the three days. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you, have you seen all the pictures a and B if you could think, if there's one like clear, clear, um, 
number one oh. far and away is best shot or favorite shot do you, do you think you have one from what you've seen um so for the first question is yeah have i looked at actually like <laughs> Twenty five thousand photos, and the answer to that is yes. Um, okay. <laughs> so, like, well, as a photographer for these events, um, and you might appreciate this, we have to look through every photo that we take that day, edit okay. the best ones, and get them out there for the media. Uh -huh. um, so, part of my job was that's yeah, that's that. So, we were um, finished shooting like eight or nine, depending on the night, and I didn't get out of there until twelve thirty every night. Um, so that's a lot of work, you know, we got to relabel the files of whose names in the photos. So the media knows whose it is and stuff like that. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a big blur. You're going through it like crazy. You know, I'll have a few energy drinks at the end of the day and just go nuts. Um, yeah. and then as far as favorite images, um, the fact that I could be on top of the vert ramp this year, um, mm. it's a very narrow spot. There's only like one or two film guys up there and then one or two official photo guys up there. And I got to be up there. Mm. I basically assigned myself to that cause I wanted to do it. Um, good angle, right? Good, good, good position. Well, just never mind just the, um, for photos, just being a fan of action sports and being able to stand on the X games vert ramp and watch these guys fly over your head doing crazy stuff. That alone is just like, like, you know, there's a probably hundreds of photographers in Japan that would kill to get up there. So that alone, it was awesome. So I think any of the photos I got from there were really, uh, ones I liked a lot and, um, geez. Yeah. But there's, there's just so many moments in these, those three days that it's really hard to pick like one image. Um, geez, but there's some really nice ones that I got up on the vert ramp, just the time of day and the lighting was really nice. Um, okay. are, are you able to share a few of those on social media? Like saying like, these are some of my favorite images or are they sort I, of copyright? I hope to do that this week. I just have to double check. Um, a bunch of the athletes okay. have been posting our photos, so I, they're kind of open yeah. to that, but okay. um, like I just, you know, I have to double check that kind of stuff. I've been um a little bit too eager sharing photos in the past and it's burned me um, <laughs> because people are like, Hey, you know, we didn't really give you permission to post that. I'm like, Oh darn. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm always a little bit extra cautious with that, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Like I, I think in the end I have like 400 gigs of images. Wow. So it's a, it's, it's a, you know, I have to hold down to that. People will contact me in months to come and be like, Hey, image zero, zero, four, nine, six. Do you, do you have that in raw and I can get it to you like in, in 10 minutes? It's like, yeah, I know exactly where it is. I'll get it for you. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I have a big X game sticker on the side of the external hard drive that I have all those images in just so I, I'm sure it'll come in handy. So to wrap up the X games quickly now is um, yep. from both of you is how would you rate the experience um out of 10 ed you, can, you go ahead if you want ed i'll give it a nine um i just would have liked to have been able to be in the you know some of the post event interviews um but i had a good seat i moved around a couple times you know to different areas of the stadium on the like middle section uh you know you're closer to the action in certain parts of the the main like circular it's like kind of like a bowl so I, I, I tried to enter the building that day with a, with a positive mindset and, you know, just adjust my, my plan a little bit, but it was, I've never been to an X games before. So it's good to attend a different type of sporting event and see what the athletes go through in their routines and to see how the fans react. 
uh, see how the athletes interact. That was really fun. How about how about you, Jason? Yeah, um, for me, I'd probably say uh, yeah, eight or nine, nine. You know, a strong nine because uh, you know, as a fan of action sports photography, it was a, it's a dream to shoot X Games, um, yeah. especially in my in the home country of Japan. It was just absolutely an amazing experience. Um, I learned a lot um, about myself as a photographer and as someone in charge of other photographers at an event, which is something I have done several times, but nothing quite this big. So it was a very good growing experience for me. Uh, the event overall, you know, even with a little bit of rain at the end, everyone worked so hard to get it done. Mm. Uh, watching those guys build that course over the week was just absolutely mind boggling, amazing. Um, and I just, can't wait to use everything I've learned this year, um, incorporated in what else I'm doing this year, but also to make X Games 2023 um, even better. And I think that's right. everyone's mindset that was this year. It's like, we'll do it. We'll get it done. We'll do the best we can and learn as much as we can. And then next year, we're going to take all the things that could have been better, all the times we messed up and you know behind the scenes it's, there's so much going on all the times that no one really sees and so um it's just so much that can be even though it was amazing there's still so much it can be improved upon and made better for next year so i'm already looking forward to doing it again all again next year you know i, I completely agree that you you have to get the first annual anything out of the way so to speak to then build upon it and learn from mistakes and to mm. make it better yeah, you just you kind of just have to peel off the bandaid real hard the first time, and then you kind of know what's going to happen. So yeah, it was it was good. Once the bleeding stops, right? <laughs> yeah, once the bleeding stops, if uh, it does. So Jason, thanks for yeah joining us for to the space tonight um, and sharing your insights with the photography on ground at the X Games and being part of such a wonderful experience in Japan. I know you've got to wrap up, but do you have any ex announcements? Or anything you'd like to share to our listeners before you jump off? Um, not nothing too concrete. No, really. I'm just gonna get my head to the grindstone this next month. I'm pretty busy. Thank you, uh, universe, for throwing some work at me finally. And uh, yeah, uh, I think I said it before. You know, just like uh, let's be nice to each other and good vibes, and throw some good karma out into the universe and see what comes back at you, and hopefully. Everyone does well, and we can enjoy Golden Week, the nice weather, and uh, yeah, and hopefully the rest of the year is uh, a lot of fun as well. All right, so um, Jason is a longtime contributor with Japan Forward. Follow him on Twitter, Jason underscore Haleko. Also on Instagram, you can search for his name, Jason Haleko, and his column on Japan Forward is A Photographer's Notes. Thanks for joining us, joining us today, Jason. My pleasure. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Nice chatting with you again. It's been a couple of weeks since yeah, our yeah. last one. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it again soon. All right. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah, feel free to stick around if you want. But, you know, I know you're quite busy and you have to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, I need a bath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jason. Cheers. Yeah, have a good one. All right. And I wanted to talk about um, golf. You know, we, talk, we cover golf now and then on Japan Forward, our sports look. Yeah. Um, but we had, yeah, we had a quite... Um, a big event um, last month. Well, not I would say just last week. I think a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, yeah. NASA Hataoka won LA Open by five strokes. Could you give our listeners a quick summary of of that event? Well, um, Hataoka was the only golfer 
uh, to shoot under 70 in all four rounds. So her consistency was impressive. Uh, she had good shot selections, you know, and good course management. Um, she was confident. She, you know, she made a lot of par. She made a lot of birdies. Um, she was just hitting well, like all around, you know, her, her first shot off the tees and um, just every day she was not, she didn't have bad stretches, you know, for many holes. So if she, if she had a bogey, you know, it was over and done with next shot, next round, um, next hole, I should say, you know, she usually bounced back and did really well. And um, she won by five strokes. So it showed that her level of consistency was a lot better than anybody else's. You would you say that her consistency really like, you know, helped her get the title this time. And was she expected to, you know, how, where was she ranked in terms of what her, her, like the odds for her to win the title? Um, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the odds are or, or what they were. Um, this is her. Let me pull up the let me pull up the number here. I want to say fifth and maybe it might be six. Let me give you the correct, accurate result here. Her sixth career LPGA tour title. Right. Uh, so overseas events. Um, and, and she's. You know, she won the, the Walmart NW Walmart Northwest Arkansas championship for the second time last September. So it, it hadn't been that long since she won an event, it, you know, and she's 23 years old. She shot a 64, uh, sorry, 67 in the first round, then shot a 68, then shot a 67. And, and then did a 67 again in the fourth round. So three rounds of 67, one round of 68, you know, and, and most of these big events in LPGA tour event, there are, more than a hundred golfers. So, you know, you're going against a pretty big level of competition and to win any event is impressive. Yeah. Like I think like, especially for me, I, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm an avid gold golf um, fan, mm-hmm. but hearing and reading the news about NASA Hatoko winning, Mm-hmm. Um, how does this rank in terms of Japanese women sports athletes and her accomplishment here? Well, the a PGA tour, an LPGA tour event is a significant uh, accomplishment again, because of the competition is globally. You have a lot of really good uh, Korean golfers, American golfers from Australia, from Canada, you know, from several, several other countries so you're competing against the best of the best around the world. And uh, it's not easy to win. You know, golf is a very difficult game. Mental toughness, physical, you know, you need stamina, you need patience. Uh, and in the previous week, she she missed the cut, uh, you know, shooting 75 and 77 over the first two rounds in Hawaii at the Lotte Championship. So Hataoka came back the next week at the LA Open put her disappointing results behind her and did really well. So I think that, I mean, you, I don't know if you want to rank it like the best of the best of, a, of events. The, I mean, but any event on the LPGA tour is, is it's not an easy accomplishment to win. So I would say it's one of the best events, one of the best results by a Japanese pro athlete this year. Yeah, so I would say that too. It was covered extensively on the news when she won. Um, mm-hmm. It was like out of nowhere that 
there's this name like Hadoka was like on the news all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so anything else about this golf article we want to squeeze out before we move on to the next topic? Ed? Well, I mean, one thing that's nice for pro athletes uh, and individual sports, you know, they can make it, they can make really good money. They can save up, they can help their family. They can, you know, they can um, devote their money to, to foundations or charities or whatnot. You know, she earned a nice, she's earning a nice living. She won 225,000 for winning the LA open. So Mm. we can, we can point that out. It's a, you know, it's a lucrative career. It's a difficult career. Um, You know, she's 23 years old and she's won six events in the overseas tour, the LPGA. And she's also won six events in Japan. So she's had a good career so far. And at age 23, you know, a lot of people are ending college at age 22. Right. Right around that time. So she's been a pro now for, for several years and is doing a good job. That's a good point. Yeah, she's she's a young professional. Uh-huh. A lot of money, learning, earning a lot of experience and competing with the world's best. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good life to live. Yeah, well, well put. Yeah. All right. And can we turn our attention now to boxing? Last month, you um, covered the Triple G versus Murata fight. Um, it was a unification title, um, unification bout for the middleweight titles. Yeah. And you were actually at the event in Saitama, I believe. Yeah, I went to Saitama Super Arena on April 8th on a Saturday and, um, you know, entered the entered the arena and was focused on watching what was taking place and then listening in after the after the fight to the fight to the fighters, make their comments, reacting to how they did. Um, you know, I, I scored the fight myself, um, you know, 10 points for so and so to win a round, nine points for the you know, the runner up at each round. And if it was a draw, get both guys a nine. Uh, I thought over the first six rounds that um, Murata won a couple rounds and I gave one, one round, I think it was the third. I, 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 I marked it as a draw on my score sheet. Uh, but as the fight, as the fight grew on, uh, Triple G found a bit more speed and a bit yeah. more, he seemed to be able to move in a little bit closer and to counterattack. He he was not letting um, Murata hit him as much or as as frequently as strongly as he was early on. I, I give credit to Murata for being aggressive, and you know for coming out with that mindset where I'm going to take I'm going to take his title. But uh, clearly, Murata got injured or you know got got hurt by the punches in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth rounds. Right. Um, yeah, it was, a t- it was a TKO fight, right? A TKO t- t- finish. I think the t- yeah. the, the corner threw in the towel. Exactly, um, ninth round. Um, and there was a comment that you wrote on in your article, Ed. Um, I think you're you're quoting Triple G. You wrote, Murata is a true warrior who fought to the very end. He's mm-hmm. an Olympic champion, middleweight champion. And despite what took place in front of his fans, we're extremely happy to have organized this event in Japan. So my, I guess the first part of the question is, was there? Do you think that Murata was feeling extra pressure fighting in front of the hometown crowd? And then the second question is maybe the 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 opposite of that. 
was this a motivation for Triple G to, you know, to beat the champion and to unify the titles? Well, for, for the first point, I think for both fighters, I, I think there was a level of pressure of, of having a long layoff because of the fight. The fight had been delayed from last, uh, was it November? Because yeah. of the COVID restrictions. So I think maybe for Murata, there was additional pressure feeling like, you know, my conditioning might be good, but there's a difference between, you know, exercise fitness and, and fight fitness. You get that from being involved in fights and the long layoff can be too long of a layoff cannot be good because there's a timing and a rhythm inside a fight that's different from just, you know, random sparring partners or working out again, working out by yourself. Uh, but I think he did want to put on a show. He's, you know, he's lived in Tokyo for many, many years, born in Nara Prefecture, but his fight career has been centered, centered around Tokyo. So I think there was some pressure. I think that's a valid point. As for um, as for Triple G, he had just turned 40 the week of the fight. Right. So I think I think he feels the window of his earning power and his physical power are probably the next two or three years. And you know, he wants another, he wants, he wants some big fights to come up again. Still, he, he wants to, he wants to continue in, in this kind of high profile fight. All right. So what, what do you think's next for Murata? Where does he go from, from this loss? Hmm. Well, I think he's going to, I think he'll continue to be ranked pretty high because he fought uh, Triple G. Right. I, I guess the question is, who do they, who do, who do his handlers, his promoters and manager, who do they uh, try to hook him up with a fight, hook a fight up with him? That's a good question. I think it's um, something we probably won't have a clear picture of it for a couple of months. But, you know, like somebody might be like more of a middle ranked, middle of the row ranked uh, fighter who might have a few more losses, who might be younger or someone closer toward the end of his career. Yes. I think someone, some, someone like that might be who Murata gets next. Someone I, 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 yeah. I'm not really sure though, honestly. Um, I haven't even been thinking about it, but you know, I think, I think uh, triple G is going to fight Alvarez uh, right. you know, Canelo. Uh, probably as early as next, um, as early as the fall. And I think that might be one of, um, because of, it's a redemption fight for Triple G. I think it's, 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 it's their second time or third time. Fight. It would be number three, third time. Yeah. Right. So, and. But it's been four, it'll yeah. be four years in October since they last fought. And they're completely different fighters now. And Alvarez has been fighting different um, fighters in the last couple of years as well. So that's that's a pretty interesting matchup, um, even though they're quite older now. But it's I, I imagine it's going to be a similar fight approach by by Triple G, a very technical fight and very patient and veteran like style approach to 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 the matchup. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Whereas. Alvarez at times though is very aggressive too, where he might have saw what Murata did and try to adopt similar tactics of, you know, trying to maybe hurt 
uh, Triple G early on. Like you look at some of the photos of and video replay of what um, Murata did, right. where he was going, he was going for headshots quite early uh, against Golovkin. And to his credit, he actually had pretty good defense. Or I, I should say you expect that from him, but he was also, um, you know, covering up and not getting hit hard as frequently early on. So he had good defensive tactics early on, along with good offensive tactics. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was a tough... Me, yeah, watching... Like, I was watching, yes, both, like, on TV slash reading commentary on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with that sentiment of, like, Murata trying to maybe win um, in the early rounds. Yeah. Um, as his advantage. Um, but Golf can... You just, I think, yeah, his defense just was able to wear out the offense, and he was able to hang on in the later rounds and overpower him in the end. And I think that's how you wrote it as well. You, you said he wore down Ryota Murata and you unified mm-hmm. the titles. I, I think, I think we have to acknowledge that Triple G is one of the great, greatest fighters of the 21st century, and he's had good training in his career. He's been, he's a smart fighter. Uh, he has a heck of a lot of three hundred plus. Was it three hundred yeah. plus amateur fights? I want to say, if I read correctly and remember correctly. So he built a he built a foundation for his career, and just a highly intelligent fighter, and you know, exceptional footwork, great hands, great movement. Murata's good. He's very good, but he's not quite at the level that you know Triple G has been throughout his career in my opinion. And I think the results show that. Okay. So moving on. And yeah, that was a good, thanks for covering that story. It was, it was a good, um, it was a highly anticipated matchup. People were still buzzing since it was canceled um, late last year. Yeah. Um, An unfortunate, um, I guess an an unfortunate result for Japanese fans and for Murata, but Mm -hmm. I still think it was a really good fight. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, I don't like to see fights end in like one minute or, you know, famously Mike Tyson knocked out Michael Spinks in 91 seconds. Right, right. You know, it's like <laughs> just, there's there's not that much interest in that, I don't think, for most people. Um, you know, you want something to go 10, 12 rounds uh, and, you know, see see the adjustments that are made and see both people be warriors out there. It's much more interesting, in my opinion, that way. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's move on to baseball. Um, okay. Lots of things happened in April for baseball. Um, the and the MLB season kicked off with their opening games or with their season, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and also, MPB, uh, we've seen some, I guess, some some big headlines. Um, and the one that I can think of is Sasaki. You know, you pointed out a name that is getting headlines around the world. Chibalote Marines starting pitcher, Roki Sasaki, had a perfect game on April 3rd, a couple Sundays ago. And um, it was the first, first time in 28 years in Japanese baseball that there was a perfect game. He... You know, he pitched all nine innings. He faced all 27 batters. No runs, no hits, no errors. Nobody got walked. Nobody got hit by a pitch. At one point in the game, he struck out 13 consecutive batters. 
Yes. Which is an all-time record for both the major leagues and MPB. He struck out 19 batters in the game to tie a Japanese record. And he was just overpowering, overpowering, incredible uh, control with his fastball, using his uh, other pitches to, you know, just baffle the hitters. And what was remarkable about that performance was that it carried over until his next game as well. Right. He pitched eight consecutive perfect innings on April 10th, giving him 17 perfect innings in a row. <laughs> and um, he was pulled after the eighth inning of a 0-0 game. Uh, and the, the manager, Tadahito Iguchi, cited, you know, he wants to, you know, not to over um, overwork his starting pitcher, mm. you know, not to give arm fatigue or, you know, risk injury. And um, that was what that was what he said. And and uh, Sasaki in his public comments did not criticize his manager or say, you know, like, I think I should have had a chance to chase history and go for a second consecutive perfect game. Uh, they wound up winning that game in the 10th, was it the 10th inning? So, you know, he might've, who knows, maybe the, maybe the, his, his, um, his teammates would have sought him out there in the ninth inning and maybe somebody would have got a game winning hit and it would have been a second consecutive perfect game that, that, that could have possibly happened, but it didn't go down that way. It went down as eight, eight uh, shutout innings and 17 consecutive perfect innings, which will probably be a record for quite some time. Uh, in his next start on April 17th, first batter got a hit off of um, Sasaki in the first inning. So the streak ended quickly, but he wound up pitching five innings in that game and getting the win. And he's 3-0 on the year. And currently he's off the active roster, which is which is sort of a uh, technicality of Japanese baseball, which the MLB uh, structure does not have. If you're off the active roster, you cannot participate in a game. So the manager has some flexibility of pulling guys up from the farm team to fill that roster spot for a week or 10 days or a shorter period. And um, that's what happened with Sasaki, where he's been given a rest right now. Yeah, he'll probably be back. He'll probably be back as as uh, soon as next week. I was watching the game yesterday because the, the 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 team like Chiba that is is on my radar now. It's like I need to see this team. Uh-huh. I, I need I need to see what's the buzz about. And I turned mm-hmm. on the TV to see a different p- picture. It was like Ishikawa, and it was against the Ham um, Hokkaido yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't. I don't know. I wanted to see like Sasaki, but hopefully, yeah, he's on again soon, and I'll get to watch him. Uh, and another big name in baseball right now in Japan is let's say let's go with the nickname Big Boss. And and as mentioned just then, um, the Hokkaido team, Nippon Ham Fighters. Mm-hmm. Could could you maybe share with our listeners? Um, some of the, I guess, events that's happened around Big Boss um, and the new, I guess, newly revamped or the renewed Nippon Ham Fighters team? Well, before I get to that quickly, um, I'll just say that Sasaki is still only 20 years old. And uh, often pitchers, the, you know, like the pitching coach and the, the development staff of a team, they want to sort of like gradually 
progressed the workload over over a few year few years, and um, he's still you know only been a pro, pro player for a couple of years now. So, you know, a lot of times in the U.S., they guys take four or five years before they make the major leagues. In Japan, the number of minor league levels is is only one level. So guys reach the majors often or reach MTB often a lot quicker. So that's sort of part of the reason they're uh, slowly um, working his way up just with to, him. Yeah, just quickly to add to that, because you also wrote it, is that the catcher, who's also quite a young young guy, he's 18 years old. He's 18 years old. It was eight, he was like, the, I guess the, it was the, those two who were like. Yeah, Matsu, Matsukawa is only, tw- is only 18. So to have a, to have a young starting pitcher and catcher that young, that's, that's very unusual to have a starting catcher at that age because you're handling the pitching staff. You're, you know, you're, you're also helping to deploy the, the infielders and, and, you know, call the pitches. Of course, the coaching staff gives you input, but um, you have, you want the, if you're a pitcher, you want the catcher to believe in you and have confidence in you. And often at that young of an age, the athletes themselves, you know, don't haven't developed that level of confidence yet. Mm. Yeah. Now back back to your you asked me about the fighters and Big Boss. Yeah. Uh, Tsuyoshi Shinjo is the first year manager of that team. His first ever managing uh, job at any level in, in pro baseball. Uh, he was a very flamboyant player, both in the United States and where he got his career start in Japan. Uh, he played for the fighters on their on their championship team of 2006 and retired. As a player, he often had very wild hairdos, and um, he, uh, he he I think he he, he kind of like what was it he antics on the field like jumping around and jovial, goofy. I believe he kind of had like a spaceship UFO at one point in his career. Like he he sort of joked around and um, like entered the field on some you know crazy. Uh, I hope I'm remembering this correctly now, but he was sort of. Um, hovering over the field, which, which he repeated in a way uh, for the first game of the season where he actually entered the stadium on a hovercraft. Wow. Opening, opening game of the season in, in uh, Fukuoka, which sort of was a repeat in a way of his dramatic entrance at spring training on February 1st, where he had this three wheeled uh, bicycle that made a dramatic entrance in front of the stadium there in, in Okinawa. Um, but as far as like managerial tactics and just a uh, rapport with the players and staff, he's a very upbeat guy and um, not afraid to shake things up a bit. I'll give an example of that where generally speaking, the, the, the managerial, the batting lineup that they make might have a couple different players, you know, swapped around or switched, but already, you know, into the season, which started April, uh, March 25th, just a little over a little over a month ago, he's he's had you know a couple dozen different lineups already. Yeah. So he's shaking things up, and people are all getting a shot to uh, compete and to maybe see what works best. So keeping kind of a fresh uh, competition day in and day out. But he's also he's been um, he's been watching batting practice while sitting atop this thing called the Big Boss Tower. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a ladder, like a you might see like on a construction site, and it's sort of a funny looking um, 
con- contraption, I guess it might be the right word, where he's out there from like uh, maybe five, uh, three, four meters up in the air looking down, which um, often you'll find the manager standing right behind the batting cage before right. a game, like at eye, eye level. So I don't know quite what he sees differently up there from his point of view, mm-hmm. but maybe just like how they react to the way the ball's spinning might be something he's, he feels he sees better from a little higher up. This, I'm, I've just pulled up the record now on Google and uh-huh. Nip, the Nippon Ham fighters are um, 10 and 19 for the season. Um, the 10 and 19 for the season. Yeah. Is this a good start for them? Or do you think it's still there's still some of like warming up to the management and the, the players? I believe if, if I remember correctly, they were one and seven to start the year. One and seven, uh, two and eight, right right around that target uh was their performance over the first nine, ten games. Uh they won three in a row um a couple weeks ago, and they're playing a bit more at a 500 level, which we say in U.S. sports, yeah. you know, you win like almost as many as you lose. They're not, they're not there obviously overall, but they've, they've, they've had some good games. I think this is more of a developmental year. They've been in the bottom of the standings, uh, fifth place, three previous years in a row. Mm. So I don't think anybody expected them to contend for a title this year. Um, I'd say let's look at their record at the all-star break, roughly right. the midway point of the season and see if they're, sort of getting better incrementally each month? Yeah, I'm looking at the record for the last 10 games. There's, there are three and seven. Um, yeah. They're under the fifth, under 50, uh, 500 as well there. Yeah, um, that's not so good. But, you know, they 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 have a lot of young players and they're bad. their offense has been very inconsistent where you might get one game, seven, eight runs, next game two. You know, you want to be able to score more and you want to have more discipline with your hitters, you know, get on base by walk as well as, you know, show some power. Just quickly, Ed. So, yeah, we have Sasaki, Big Boss. Other, other, are there any other names or um, buzzwords we can associate with MPB this year, this season that we should be, that we should know about? Yeah. I want to point out a couple things. Um, you have the Yomiuri Giants are in first place in the Central League. You know, the traditional power, the most successful team ever in Japan. So more than half of the more than half of the Japanese baseball fans say that they're fans of the Giants. So I think a lot of people are happy about that. And um, the Swallows, who won the title last year, are they're having a decent year so far. They're in third place. Um, but their winning percentage is not so great. 15 wins, 12 losses, but they're three games back of the Giants. So there's no reason to panic. They need, they need to play a little better if they want to contend for a title, probably. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that rivalry sort of plays out. Hanshin Tigers, who also have a huge following in Kansai, they have the worst record in the Central League at 9-20. Nine wins, 20 losses, and one tie right now. Yeah. And in the Pacific League, the Rakuten Eagles are playing really well. First place, uh, 16 and 6 with one tie. And the SoftBank Hawks are in second place. So let's see if the Buffaloes, who made the, play, made the Japan Series last year, are 
you know, capable of uh, contending for a title this year. Yep, and PP seems to be exciting this this season with with Sasaki's perfect game and his streak. Also, the news and headlines surrounding Big Boss and the teams that you mentioned just now, like the the, mm-hmm. the power the powerhouse of MPB with the Giants, the Swallows, yeah. the Carp are doing so well as well. They're 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 not they're doing well. Um, Rakuten and SoftBank and the Buffaloes who kind of round up the top. And yeah, let's keep an eye out on that. Ed, do we have time to quickly talk about B League? Sure. Um, yeah, with with baseball right now, I've mostly been following just see how the teams are overall doing. Uh, but Sasaki has been by far and away the biggest headline so far of any of the players. It's a, p- a perfect game is such a rare occurrence, and right. to come to come an inning away from repeating that, uh, you know that's that's unheard of. Yeah, hopefully yeah, their team picks it up. I think they're coming second last or so in, in the yeah. Pacific League. So let's let's yeah, let's see how that develops. Let's quickly move on to B League. Ed, um we're in May. Um just for our listeners, what's coming up in May for Big League for the B League? Okay, we've got um we've got a handful of games remaining uh in the top division before the playoffs get underway. Uh, it's typically a 60 game season, but every team I believe has had a couple games canceled. Some teams have had several games canceled because of uh, COVID tests. So not everybody will finish with 60 games total. Uh, for example, a lot of the teams have played 52 games so far and they'll probably want up playing 56, 55, 56 games. Um, the championship is a three game finals. The final weekend of May, the the 27th, 28th, and 29th. And this year, it'll be a Tokyo Metropolitan Gymnasium. Okay. In, re- in recent years, it's been held at Yokohama Arena. So they're they're shifting to a new venue this time. Will you be traveling to... Um, oh, you won't, be able, you won't be traveling to Okinawa anymore. Is that right? Um... I don't believe I'm going to travel out of out of uh, Kanto for the playoffs. Um, maybe to be determined. But the, the the way the league operates, the first round, the quarterfinals and semifinals, the teams with better records, you know, host you know host matches. Oh. Uh, the the finals are then held all in one location with two teams. For example, last year, the Chiba Jets and the uh, Utsunomiya Brex played in the best of three finals and that was in Yokohama. So both teams are sort of, uh, you know, have uh, a good home crowd because it's not that far away from either team's home fan base, but um, eight teams, eight teams overall out of 22 make the, make the playoffs. And currently seven of those, of those eight playoff spots have been decided in the B league first division. Right. From the east, from the east, you have uh, the defending champion Chiba Jets, uh, Kawasaki Brave Thunders, Alvarak Tokyo, and Utsunomiya Brex have all qualified. So, if you look at the league standings, for example, you'll see the star next to their name in the yeah. standings. That indicates they made the playoffs. In the West, the Ryukyu Golden Kings, who by far and away have the best record, 
at 47 and 6 have won their fifth straight West Division title. Uh, they've qualified. The Shimane Susanoo Magic, having a really great season at 40 and 14, have also qualified. Nagoya Diamond Dolphins, whose coach we had on the last Twitter spaces for Sports Look, the Sports Talk podcast, his name is Sean Dennis. His team is 32 and 14, and they've qualified. Right. Uh, Seahorses Mikawa are 29 and 21. Hiroshima Dragonfly is 28 and 26. They're both in the running for a playoff spot. And then in the East, you have the Sun Rockers Shibuya at 32 and 24, and Akita Northern Happy Nets at 29 and 23. I think all four of those can mathematically still make the playoffs, but only one more spot up for grabs. Um, And in the second division, you'll have also an 18 playoff uh, format, and the top two teams will earn promotion. So there's a relegation promotion system in place for B1, B2, and B3. Okay. Uh, I'll quickly read off a couple of the names. I'll just tell you the teams that have um, qualified for the playoffs in B2. All eight spots are decided. From the East, Fighting Eagles and Nagoya, 42 and 8. Sendai 89ers, 38 and 15. Fukushima Firebonds, 34 and 18. And the Koshigaya Alphas, 25 and 22. And, and that's a team that had moved up um, a couple of years ago from B3 to B2. And with a good showing in the playoffs, they still might be able to move up to B1 this next year. Uh, in, the, in the West, um, also having a really good year. A bit surprising how good, I think. The Kagawa Five Arrows, 36 and 16. Team used to be called the Takamatsu Five Hours, Five Arrows, excuse me, in the BJ League era. Then in second place, Kumamoto Volters, 36 and 18. The Nishinomiya Storks, 36 and 19. That team used to be called the uh, Hyogo Storks back in the day. And one of the newer franchises in pro basketball in Japan, the Saga Ballooners, 29 and 21. They had also been promoted from uh, B3 a couple of years just um, for this year. So, so which teams on the B1 look like they might be relegated? Okay. Um, Niigata looks like they're in. Niigata Alberex BB, 5 and 44, 15 consecutive losses. Uh, I don't see, I don't see their, their, performance level to win. I don't think they can uh, season, right? not make the it, it's, it's, it's a multiple stage format. You have, I think you have to um, to say it quickly. I think you have to win two games to avoid uh, relegation. So you're sort of in the, you're sort of like under the pressure of having to win the first game. It's a double elimination concept. Okay. It's a bit complicated, but so they have to win a couple games to avoid uh, not 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 falling down, and they've been so inconsistent this year that I, I think that's problematic. I, um, the San Neo Phoenix, the San N Neo Phoenix, excuse me, ten and forty-five. 
they've been plagued by a lot of injuries, just like Niigata. But I think their roster building has been, um, you know, inadequate. They just don't have the right players at each of the positions. Uh, and the talent level with a league this big, it, it's difficult to, you know, every team to have the same level of talent. So, you know, you need co- good coaching, of course, but you also need right players to compete with other teams mm-hmm. who often have advantages at, at at a lot of the positions and they exploit some of the mismatches. So I, I think probably that you're going to see the Alborex fall down. The Neo Phoenix have been sort of on a downward um, um, de-escalation the last couple of years. This the the core base of players, like some of the good players have left the team, mm-hmm. and some of their other players have gotten older, and they haven't found younger players to fill those spots who have done, you know, enough performance-wise to keep the team winning consistently. Um, Kyoto has only 13 wins. Shiga has 14. Ibaraki has 15. So I think one of those other three might drop down. Um, let's see who's healthy when the season ends right. and before the relegation promotion playoff system, you know, begins. Uh, it's it's a bit unpredictable though, also because pl- players players have been lost for injury, but also for COVID, where certain players have been gone for weeks at a time, or you know, key games. And then teams have fallen, you know, they've fallen behind. They've gone on losing streaks. They've um, they've lost their edge, so to speak, you know, with player rotations and with, you know, coaching tactics. It, it's unpredictable a bit more, I think, now than before the pandemic. I'm just looking at the, yeah, the Nigata Albirex's um, schedule. Seems like they had a lot of games canceled as well recently. Yeah. Executive games canceled. So that must do a lot for I guess consistency and just getting into a rhythm yeah you know you could point out that they've only played 49 games um a lot of teams are up to 54 or 55 54 53 game range so for the coaching staff when there's long layoffs mm-hmm. you're you might you might scrimmage against your team but you want to see what kind of level of improvement you've made against other teams also, maybe to contrast that point is like the reigning champs, the Jets. Yeah, played the least number of games at forty-two. But that's a good point as well. Yeah, they yeah, have a good win percentage. They've 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 um they've had a lot of COVID cases on their team, but also on among their opponents. So games have been canceled both based on positive tests on the Jets and positive tests from the other team. Yeah, looking forward to the B League playoffs. Um, it's an exciting season it's this year with a lot of the it's the top teams are like really neck and neck. It's I wouldn't. It's hard to tell who's gonna win this year. Like Chiba's still quite strong. Let's just see how their players are if they're healthy yeah. or not. But the Yuki Kings are on a roll. Like they've been dominating throughout the whole season. Quite consistent. Um, Hearing the the Twitter spaces that you've done with the recent coaches, they mm-hmm. complemented their their offense and their defense. There's that that's a good consistency there. Um, maybe Ed, what, what's your assessment of um, who's going to take it out, or who's 
who are the, the teams that you think will be the, the strong contenders to win this year's season? I think I think right now my my gut feeling is we're going to see the Golden Kings against uh, either Chiba or, or Kawasaki this year. I think the Brave Thunders have really good depth and some of their younger players have gotten a little bit better and their veterans are, a lot of them are back for their veteran core of import players. Uh, Nick Fizikas is a naturalized player, but Jordan Heath and Pablo Aguilar are both back for you know multiple years now. I think the rotation is really working well. They've got good Japanese veteran guards. Yuma Fuji and uh, Shinoyama are their are good catalysts. I think the Jets um, might be the layoff might have hurt them more than other teams, and they're they're really good in some games. And I think they're a little more inconsistent at times. Um, the Alvar Tokyo, I would have predicted they might make the final this year, but they've had injuries in recent weeks that. Um, seems to have disrupted their timing and maybe it's going to be too big of a uh, obstacle to overcome, but they've, they're the only team that has won it twice. Right. And they still have Lucas Pavisevic as a coach. They've still got Daiki Tanaka, who is one of the best guards in Japan, Alex Kirk, one of the best centers. Yep. They brought in Ryan Rossiter and Sebastian size. Um, both those guys are really good players. I wouldn't be surprised if the Alvark make it, but my gut feeling is the Kings are just having a storybook year. They have the right rotation, the right chemistry. Uh, the coaching system really has put the system in place and the players have responded. And I think, I think we're going to see the numbers play out for probably the, the golden Kings. I have the same feeling too. Like I think the Golden Kings will make it an interesting will make it an interesting finish. Uh, whoever they play against, um, and they've had a strong year. I've, I've seen their highlights uh, week every week, um, and I, I like what I see. And I think they'll be a tough team to beat. It's good. It, it is good to see other teams in the West make improvements apart from last year. Um, Shimane was not a second seeded team last year at all by any means mm. uh, i'll pull up the record here in a second and nagoya has gotten a lot better so it's good to see other fan bases have a chance to see their teams you know provide a bit more excitement um let me tell you what shimani's record was last year i've completely forgotten shame on me they were 28 and 32 last year and they're 40 and 14 this year so yeah. they've already won 12 more games so that, that that's a pretty significant uh, increase. Their coach is from New Zealand, Paul Hanare, and he's his first year as the coach there. He was leading Kagawa in the second division last year, but but switched teams. This is on. All right, I'll keep an eye out for them too. Shimane, they look like. Yeah, it looks like they they're on a good they're on a good roll at the moment too. And we just hit, yeah, we didn't realize we've hit over an hour. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can slowly wrap up by saying, um, I'll just say it. Like, Ed, you cover a lot of our sports news on Japan Ford in our sports dedicated website, Sports Look. Mm-hmm. Um, and last, me- last month, we had all sorts of sports. We had 
And obviously, yeah. you work with this, um, a core team of writers, Indian and Jack. Um, but you've covered like uh, rugby league, order racing the other day. There's also um, horse racing, then basketball, mm-hmm. then golf. Um, you make time for your weekly um, Japan sports notebook write ups. You have mm-hmm. baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you covered the X Games briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to say, like, all this is original content by Ed, written by Ed. He does lots of research. He knows his stuff. He's been living in Japan for plus, what, 10 years? Plus uh, 15 years? It will be 16 years in July. Right. And you've professionally been um, covering sports in Japan for just as much time, right? Exactly, yes. So... Yes, do to our listeners, please check out Ed's writing, um, Ed's content, um, not just on Japan Ford, but we also have a website called Sports Look. It's featured.japan-ford.com forward slash sports look. And you'll see, again, um, Ed's um, content. Also, are some of our core contributors in gym who, who contributes with um, baseball, and when the season is on, he covers um, sumo. Um, and then we also have Jack, who's exclusively um, covering figure skating, not just in Japan, but also like the world competitions. He also has connections with coaches and some of, and many of the athletes. Um, so please check out the website there. Ed, do you have any announcements or anything you'd like to share to our listeners before we sign off? Well, we... We're, we'll be entering uh, the first year anniversary of, of Sports Look uh, in July. And one of the core uh, objectives for Sports Look was to provide variety and original content and gradually and quickly, in some cases, you know, provide as much variety as we could. And we don't want to be a facsimile of other sites. We don't want to be a copycat organization of anybody. But we want to highlight sports that are obviously the top headlines, but also some of the stuff off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um, X Games is not something covered all the time by all, all media. So when the opportunity arose to cover it for the, f- the first time it was in Japan, it made sense to cover it. Uh, I wrote a column uh, about 10 days ago now about a Bassmaster fisherman right. uh, from, from uh, born in, born in uh, Kyoto. Uh, Kenta, Kim, Kenta Kimura and you know I, I follow a lot of the headlines from uh, getting emails with different things and you know Twitter and a lot of different websites and sometimes you stumble across something that you might have realized there are Japanese athletes that are competing in those sports but are they doing well are they you know are they winning or are they successful and it's nice to be able to highlight people like uh, Kimura and people like Hataoka and, uh, you know, to watch Murata's first uh, title fight in Japan in many years. That was a that was a treat. It was a, it was fun to do. So the, the goal is to, you know, give a forum for good variety and to have original content each week and uh, keep growing it step by step. I'm just going to quickly pull up our notes that we've we've taken 
um, earlier in this year. Just just a quick overview of what sports events we'll be covering. I just want mm-hmm. one that comes up quickly to mind is um, FIFA, the FIFA World Cup towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Samurai Blue, uh, Japan men's soccer team, has qualified uh, for its seventh consecutive uh, World Cup. And this year's World Cup is in uh, Qatar in November through December, six-week event. Generally, usually that's how long it takes. Um, And let's see how the team does. Um, You know, it's a competitive event. It's hard to advance. It's hard to make the knockout phases. So sometimes it involves a little bit of luck, obviously. Mm. Um, and new heroes emerge every World Cup. And also later later on, I wouldn't say later on next, this month, but next week we have the summer, the summer, summer basho, starting May 8th. Then we have B-League towards the end of the month. Um, in July, I'm skipping June. Can't think of no, what's happening in June. The sumo, the sumo will get underway on May 15th. Oh, May 15th. Okay. Yeah. So two weeks from today. Yeah. Then we have in we have sumo again in July 11th. Right. Every other month, there's a six-week gap between uh, the, the start of, start and finish of bashos. And then August marks the beginning of the figure skating season. So hopefully we'll get to hear from Jack and he can join our Twitter space or he can do some of his podcasts and we can share those. Sure. Um, and did you have any, like how about the racing? Any any races to keep in mind, horse racing? Well, I uh, I watched and reported on the Tenno show Spring tonight. Um, the race was this afternoon. Kazuo Yokoyama was a wire-to-wire leader and won by five lengths. Well, wow. um, Deep Bond was was the runner up the second straight year. Uh, this story will, will be published later tonight. So people who might hear that this portion of the podcast can please check out Japan Forward and Sports Look for the article. Uh, and if even if you're hearing this in a couple of days from now, please check it out. All right. Ed, thanks again for your coverage of sports news in Japan and for Japanese sports athletes and teams around the world and for your original original stories um, that you published with us on Japan Ford and um, I guess the site you co-founded Sports Look um, it was a nice it was a nice chat today and um, yeah thank you to all our listeners as well for joining us and follow us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook we also have a YouTube channel and our Spaces will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. So make sure you're subscribed to that as well. If you're interested in writing for Japan Board or Sports Look um, and writing your original sports related news content, feel free to reach us, reach out to us anytime. You can contact um, us through Twitter, Japan Forward, or you can um, connect directly to Ed, send him a message on Twitter, or send him an email. Um, or just get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'll try to do this Twitter space again next week. So keep an eye out on Twitter for the announcement. Have a good night, everybody. Or good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you for listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.